You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Brave new radio. We got managers, producers, record labels, concert promoters galore. Professor David Kirk Philp, along with Dr. Esteban Marconi Emeritus. And we are so happy to have you listening to us this fine day or night. Managing your band, seventh edition, out now. So we are now with uh, Matthias Tenblad from CoWrite. Uh, he's the CEO and founder of CoWrite. He's an entrepreneur. He's spent over 20 years running cutting edge gaming, music, and media projects. His primary project with a vital mission now is Stockholm-based, and, and you get five points if you know where Stockholm is, people. Stockholm-based digital music distributor delivering, which is co-write, delivering artist music onto various uh, services like Spotify, Apple, Pandora, Tidal. And he has a model through co-write called Play to Earn, and we're going to talk all about the distribution. We're going to talk about Play to Earn. We're going to talk about fan funding. We're going to talk about that right now. So, Dr. Stavon, take it yes. Okay, I will. So it seems to be, I think, in your DNA that you are uh, not a really traditionalist and that you possibly saw some greener pastures or some more freedom leaving Universal and moving to starting this, which is a, to me, it looks like almost like a hybrid of what's already out there, but you've got the, um, interest of fans that uh, may be just so in love with a group and they, you know, considering how loyal they are, that they, you may want, or they may want to take part in the success of the group. Yeah, I think you, you pretty much spotted uh, both my personality and what we're about to do. So yeah, I, I've always considered myself like an entrepreneur. And if you look at my hair color you can see I've been around for a while uh, so and I, I but I spent 
most of my career so far in big corporations like Universal Music, but also in big media houses as a more management consultant. And yeah, so, uh, but I always work with new stuff, uh, creating new business, trying to find new ideas, etc. And that was what me and my partner in crime, Emil, who is the co other co-founder or co-writer was doing at Universal as well. We spent some really exciting year in the music industry. That was like 10 years ago when Spotify was launching, starting in Sweden, actually, and pretty much turned the entire business around very fast from our perspective, because Sweden at that point, we were at the level of no CD sales. Everybody was piracing music on Pirate Bay and uh, the music industry was going down the drain, basically. Then came Spotify and just swifted around. And we, we spent like five years in trying to recreate the entire universal music organization from being a cd sales organization to becoming a you know digital marketing streaming based organization and that that learned us a lot we, we so we started products like spin up which is nowadays universal music's distribution for 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 do it yourself and we also created the digster service which is universal's playlist platform so there was a lot of entrepreneurial stuff happening inside of universal where we were but then we went off for a while and started with, uh, working for a bigger media company in the, in the Nordic region. And there I was setting up the venture department, working a lot with games and gaming and uh, esports. So we basically invested ourselves into the esports industry by buying a big studio and then went into the production and stuff. And what I learned there was that, as you said, the fans has always been a very strong force in the music industry where people have a very strong connection to their favorite music and favorite artists. But I would say the industry had never been able to sort of monetize that except for selling tickets to shows and merchandise maybe. But in the gaming industry, they totally reinvented themselves like 10 years ago and up till now with, with services like Twitch, which if you compare to this music streaming services is much more oriented to, to the connection between the fans and between the artists in that field. So the gamers, they con uh, are connected with the hosts of the shows and the superstars, which are the game esports stars are connecting with everyone. And there are like tipping models, you have subscription models, you have a lot of business models, which didn't happen in the music industry. So and one conclusion we draw was that, yeah, this is because there were never, there were no, no record labels in that industry. So basically they, they, they need to figure out themselves. But in the meanwhile, record labels still is, are the strong force in, in the record label industry. And that we th thought needed change. So we thought by combina combina combination of what we learned from the game side, and then what we knew and what we wanted in the music side, that's, I would say, that's the baseline of co the co-write idea, I would say. Try to build a platform which is all about uh, connecting the artist closer to the ones that actually love their music and having them helping them both with the fundraising but also with the marketing and promotion which is the other uh, really important factor mm -hmm. so yeah that was a bit of a lengthy introduction but uh, that's that's how we ended up here i would say right now i would think that the um the artist has to have a certain amount of success for this uh, model to work or is it, you know, I mean, if an artist, obviously, if he has 500 fans, he's not going to do very well in terms of uh, raising money. But how do you convince the artists that the, the younger artists, when you see potential in there, that there is a future in this and that this is a, a really good way to go? Uh, I think it's actually the beauty is that the model actually works in any kind of layer uh, right now, because you always have friends and family. 
Uh, and as a smaller, there's, I think it's 6 million artists, something that has released music on Spotify and Apple Music today. Uh, but it's only like 100 to 200,000 that actually make money enough that they could consider themselves like professionals. Mm -hmm. uh, but all these amateurs, if you have like the talent enough and you have a, the sort of ambition enough, uh, you, can, you can do a campaign, you can distribute music with CoWrite and any other, you know, distribution services. There are plenty of such. So you can always get your music out there. But for instance, the, the, of course, the target for the fundraise must be something entirely different uh, than if, if you're like Justin Bieber doing the same thing. But, but if you're this new artist and you manage to get like your 20 closest friends and family to invest $10 each, you will get money for you to buy your first microphone. And that might be the best way forward at that point. And then you grow a bit. You have 200 fans that, that supports you. And then you probably can get an advance, which is quite similar to what you could expect from a record label when you're at that stage. And then like, yeah, one of the Swedish examples, we have Danny, who, who's been like a signed artist for 12 years, a big pop star in Sweden. He managed to raise $18,000 within like 24 hours uh, mm -hmm. from, but still from basically 500 people. So, and they invest a bit more because they knew him and they wanted to be part of a, a like a, yeah, his, his closest family. So I think, Regardless of the size, there is always a chance to, to get funding for whatever is the next step for you. So mm -hmm. I think, that, and that's the way you need to think as an independent artist as well. You can't, you can't even hope to get like this dance monkey hit, the first thing that you do, like you drop it and then you have, you're in the, in the stars. That's, that's not how it works. It's like you need to build over time. And then co-write could be your companion from the get-go, from the starting point to until you get... Right. Yeah, bigger and have a bigger audience. Well, it is uh, an offer of collateral if you give if you're giving money, which uh, every band I was on the road and with a band as well knows that you can't go to the bank because the first thing they ask is what's the collateral, and you owe money on the guitars and the amps and the sound system. You have no collateral, so you always turn to the record company that gives you uh, mafia type interest rates when you think of it in that, that span. So it's intriguing because it does offer some sort of collateral. So if I went to my uncle and said, you know, but you're gonna take part in the royalties, uh, certainly now at my age, I would certainly be listening to the kid rather than trying to be nice and giving him 20 bucks, knowing I've thrown 20 bucks away. Uh, so I, I understand that and it seems, uh, it seems like, as you're saying, it could be a model for just about any, any um, wherever yeah, you we are in the, in the stream. Yeah, we believe so. And I think we have proven with the first pilot cases, we've done around 250 campaigns now uh, during the years we have started. And now we're starting to, to globalize the service and, and build it broader. But we have seen examples from like all categories, I would say. Uh, and it pretty it works. And the only thing that needs to happen is that music needs to be great, which is always the case. If you want to have a hit song, you can't live without the good music. And then the artist needs to be ambitious enough to actually do the campaign because that's when you raise money, you need to put in some effort. You need to write the text. You need to sort of push it to your friends and family and or your socials, etc. So as long as the artists are engaged, it works. Uh, and as you say, you get, but the more important than the money for these, especially these small artists is the, the engagement you get from the fans. Because at the day of release, 
you know, there's 60,000 other songs on Spotify that gets out the same day. So if you have 100 people that actually are part of the project and we as a platform is good are good enough to sort of engage these guys to actually follow the artists on Spotify, spread the news about it, push it in your social channels, these kind of effects might be even more worth than actual thousand dollars you managed to raise in the campaign. So it's a combination of this active fan base that you get with the model. Mm-hmm. So in your original funding, how did you sell it? I mean, were they just interested right off the bat or? You mean the first project? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, we, so of course we need you need to sort of turbo boost it a bit. So we hosted a, that was actually very fun. We hosted a big event in Stockholm on a on a fairly nice venue where we invited like five were five first projects. So the event was a, pretty much a combination of think about it as a release party combined with a fundraising gala. So we we let the artists perform the song and we, and then we had like a host of the show that say, hey guys, bring up your phone. Now it's time to invest. So we managed to get the first five products pretty much funded during that same evening, uh, which of course led to. So that, that's a tip for the artists. We can we can't as a platform not always host the show. But uh, it's a smart thing for the artist to do these things around the releases. You could have a small party, bringing friends. And this is like comparable. Uh, in the old days, you always sold like 200 CDs when people went out of the door from the release party. This is the same kind of thing. Instead of buying a CD, put 10 bucks into the campaign and you're part of the project. So that's, that's uh, things we're trying to explore. But yeah, that was the turbo boost we did in the beginning. Now, it's very, uh, sort of a formula based on how much money you um, invest and what percentage of that royalty from streaming you're going to get. Exactly. So uh, it's a very, very simple formula. Uh, It's based on a valuation of the song, which is pretty much based on stream. So let's say that I have a history of streaming, normally streaming 100,000 times Uh, on Spotify and Apple for a certain song, then we calculate what that would be worth. uh, And that's not that much. So that is pretty much, that would be like $300 or something like that, that I would get 100%. If I had 100% of the rise stream, 100,000, that's $300. So that would be a small artist and a kind of small campaign. But if you say you have a 1 million streams in general on on Spotify, that would be like $3,000. And then... If, if it's in total, the potential, we say, then the potential is $3,000. And then you could raise, let's say, you if you raise them uh, $1,500, uh, you, you can share, like, if you share 50%, that's a good campaign. Because then it's like, you have a proven track record, and you just raise half of it. And then the, the model works that the first $1,500 that comes from Spotify goes directly to the backers to recoup that investment. And then you split 50-50. So the artist always sets the goal, how much they want to raise. And they also set the percentage on their own. Uh, if they want to share like 50% or 30% or 10% or whatever they want. And that will end up in a streaming goal, which then is up to the fan to sort of, okay, yeah. 1 million streams. Is that really sort of doable? This guy has only streamed 2000 before, maybe not. Uh, so that's the sort of judgment you need to do as a backer. You need to listen to the song if you believe that's a good one. And then you can check the targets and see if it's reasonable. So that's that's how we play it. Now, if the streams go up, will the could the percentage go down? In other words, then the thing takes off. 
the song. No, that no, no. So you you set the targets in the beginning, and everybody wish for the the great success. So that's when if if it if it becomes two million, uh, the first one million streams will help recoup the backers, and then the backers and the artists will split the rest basically, and that then it will be profit. Right, right. And the artist, uh, the artist, the writer will have a hundred percent of the writing. Never yeah, yeah. So we're we're not we're not into the publishing game whatsoever. So writers have what writers have, and the fans are not invited to that uh, revenue share. It's only the master rights we take care of, as for now, at least. Right, right. Dave, you were. Yeah. Um, so, at what point is the artist making this? Uh, yeah, selling this to to potential fans is it at the point of creation because because in a way you're sort of a, a di- like a 3.0 version of, of crowdfunding you know because because if i'm doing um kickstarter or gofundme as i'm doing the creation i'm asking for money to help fund my creation in your case is the creation done and now i upload it and now people have access to hear it and then they can uh, invest in it do you, do you understand my question there yeah, 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 100%. So uh, I would say it's a bit in between. Uh, normally, nowadays, I would say the normal process is that uh, independent artists in particular, they normally produce their stuff on their own. Uh, so a demo of today is fairly close to a final master. So in our, it's definitely okay to put up a fairly close demo in the system and raise money for that because they, it's very important for the fan to actually hear that we say that you don't have to be like a financial brain here just decide if you like it or not if you like it you should back it that's the sort of and, and of course these are not like huge investments it's more like for the fun of it so we say to the artists that they should have at least a it couldn't be like the it could be the almost final mix that that's the kind of level but you could put up a acoustic demo as well and say hey i need the money for the production but uh, you will not get any money from us until we have the final master that we can distribute to the crowd because that's the only security in this field so basically we can promise to the backers that we will not take your money and give it to somebody else until we have something which we will release uh, so that is important mm-hmm. uh, but so but normally i would say out of the old projects we have it's pretty much done songs that ends up at the campaign and i would say that's very normal from an artist they normally know that you want to release a song and then they do the campaign like 30 days before the release and try to connect both the fundraise but also the uh, the promotion and marketing the campaign brings uh, to use it for the release and the storytelling around that so uh, that's that's the normal situation but we have had cases where like uh, acoustic demo that the guy needed some money to pay the producer basically mm-hmm. And it's also, once again, it's totally up to the artist how they want to spend uh, the money they raise. It's nothing that we sort of decide for them. Uh, but we, in the, having said that, we also now, after a, a lot of testing and sort of discussions with artists, we also have services that we can provide. So you can buy artist services such as uh, Spotify promotion or, or playlist promotion or uh, PR or whatever radio thing you want to have. And we can we can offer that for the money you raise. But it's it's always up to the artist to decide if they want to work with us or anybody else. And co-writes revenue stream is what? Yeah, for, for this uh, period of piloting, we have had a model which is 5%. Uh, we, we take 5% of the raised capital. And then we also take 5% for, for the, of the royalties when the songs are streamed, as long as you distribute with us. So that's our model. Right. And on top of that, on top of that uh, we are offering the artist services. So for instance, if you raise 
thousand dollars in our uh, system we we will have you can buy our cheapest artist uh, services package for six hundred dollars and then we will help you with uh, all the things that you need to get the re release right basically pitching to spotify apple and all the stores doing some pre-list links and and things around related helping you with a with a with the release in a professional way so these are the the ways we are making money Mm -hmm. So for you guys, it's, it's, it's kind of an upsell, like an, an artist comes to you, says, I'm interested in doing this. And you say, well, here's, uh, here's how it works. And a suggestion of what you could do with the money that you raise, let's say you don't need it for the microphone or, or for the production since it's done. A suggestion is then just move that money over to us and this will pay for all that promotion that in, you don't have any money to do anyway. And most artists don't. I won't, I won't say Mars, many unsigned artists or independent artists don't know what to do once the song is up. You know, they get it up. Exactly. I, I, it's definitely, if you're new and, and unsigned and haven't done this before, you need help. So you can use our help uh, or you can use somebody else's. But I think we are, we're starting to get pretty professional and very cost efficient in the way we treat like the sort of, you need to do some stuff as a baseline to become like professional. We can help with that. But we're not like the record label that will work with you on a daily basis, four hours a day, and try to sort of whatever. So, so we help you with the with the small and but very important things that we can do on scale uh, that help you a lot. So yes, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, it's funny because um, Dr. Esteban mentioned uh, you know you you have nothing to do with with the publishing, and then I thought the name of your company is Co-Write. It's spelled C O R I T E. But then I was like, oh wait, Co-Write as in Co co hyphen w r i t e like we're co-writing your story of success. Yeah, you're right. So I'll give you a secret because I think actually the name is pretty good uh, explanation on what we're actually doing today because it's about collaborate collaboration and likes. So in some general aspect, it still works, and that's why we picked it. But the truth is that we have a, had another idea a couple of years earlier, which were more about co-writes basically writing together and how to sort of mix up people in a, in a nice environment we killed that idea it wasn't good enough but the name was great so we, we brought it with us so it was there there's there, there, there was some it's always like that with brands in the beginning you have some confusion because people wonder what it is but i think we will start to sort of live our brand as we grow uh, people will start to know what co-write is all about and potentially in 20 years Nobody would think about the sessions anymore, and they need to rename that one. I don't know, but that was the, that was the story. <laughs> so let's let's go back to uh, the initial inception, the conception of the idea of Cora, because you just mentioned there were other ideas, and you mentioned yeah, partner right, passing. Right. Tell us your partner again. Then you guys were at Universal when you guys were coming up with this and various ideas, and how did you get? Uh, uh, how did you leave Universal? How did you get funding? Because, you know, we're, we're on Zoom and our listeners can't see it, but, you know, you're in an office and I see over your right shoulder, there's a board and there's all sorts of writing. I don't know if that's in Swedish, but all sorts of <laughs> like really intelligent writing on the board, which might just be uh, a very topic. secret stuff. Of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's uh, the future of the atom there or something. But uh, yeah, but, but tell us how, how it started from, from yeah. zero to where we are today. Yeah, so basically I left Universal uh, some years earlier than this one. So I, in, in the meantime, I spent some years at this media house building esports stuff and gaming stuff. So, but me and Emil, who, who's my partner, uh, we were we basically had a vision. We need to get back to the music game because that's too much fun in the music industry. We need to come up with something. And then we started to think and we combined this so basically, it's 
built on a couple of trends. One being that more and more artists with these distribution services and the ease of production distribute music. So there's a huge demand on to help people basically get out there because the, the competition is crazy, 60,000 songs a day. And uh, from my, our understanding, the normal industry, they are not fit, fit for that. They can work with like 1% of the top. The rest need to take care of themselves. And these guys need tools. So we thought about what kind of tools will this growing middle-class independent artists really need? Uh, so that's that's where the idea came up. So yeah, everybody needs help with distribution. That's not a big problem. Everybody, you can do it in, in there are several very good distribution services actually. But then comes, why do you need a label? Yeah, I want this team. I want this um, funding and I want this marketing and promotion support. So what, and we, if you, we can sort of create this virtual team, uh, get you the funding, but also include the one in the team that actually loves your music, which is the fans. That might be a power that's big enough to actually cut through the noise and help much more artists than, uh, than the labels can do. So that was, I would, I think that that's the history. And then we started, we just quit our day job and we started thinking about this and, uh, yeah, we, we have some experience in, in fundraising. So, so we, we got ourselves some small capital and got started. Uh, and we asked, finally, we haven't up till now, we haven't raised that much money until now, because uh, since a year ago, we're also working with this, you were touched upon it in the beginning. We're working with this blockchain bro- project, which will be the next version of CoWrite coming out early next year. Mm-hmm. That has taken us into an entirely new industry i would say because the blockchain industry and nfts has been i would say the most talked about subject the last six months and we were perfectly timed so we're in something now uh, which will enable us to grow much faster during the next uh, years to come Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you left your jobs and did had you saved i'm I'm actually just trying to figure out from the (laughs) standpoint you, you left your jobs you had enough money saved up so that you could work full-time on this company and then some funding came in. Is that how that worked? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, uh-huh. It was actually, yeah, it was a bit of a struggle as well. So we, of course we had some money saved, but uh, that didn't last too long. Uh, so, right. so we did some, so me and Emma, we have kind of experienced people. So we did some consultancies and stuff. So we, we managed to sort of bootstrap this thing. So we actually built the first like MVP of the platform totally on our own uh, with, a, with a team that we got uh, got together so we financed that and then we, we had the sort of first version of co-write we managed to bring in some capital so we're able to hire a couple of people and get going and start in a real hire yeah get this office and, and get started for real so yeah did you did you guys have any background in coding or anything like that or when you where how did you find out where to get the team did, did you just uh, network with people who knew other people or was it google was it linkedin how did you find the people who would create that first iteration of co-write so my 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 partner emil is a really really great guy he's a t- typical like creative director product director also knowing how to code and develop product and we have together we have built a lot of services uh, during the meantime we were were like employed by big companies so we know how to build stuff uh, and we had based on that experience and based on that period and network we had a couple of we have been working with some developers for a fairly long time in other projects so we managed to bring the best of the best together to to create this with us basically yes but then it's it's always a struggle finding great development team we have a really really good team now uh, based in Ukraine, actually. So we're, we're, the business team is Stockholm-based and uh, we have these developers in Ukraine. 
Uh, and so we're thinking about the organization. It will be a very global organization. So now in the crypto and the blockchain, people are spread pretty much all over the place. Uh, so we work in very global and which has actually worked fairly well during this COVID period because it's, it's pretty much as easy to talk to you guys in New York State as it is to talk to people on the other side of the street because you can't meet anyway. So it's, it's, uh, it's been like this. Uh, and that's how we we play it right now. And I think that's uh, the way for a digital company in the future. You need to be able to find people where they are rather than sort of trying to get everybody to Stockholm because nobody wants to live here anyway when it's cold and dark. So it's like, it's better to find them where, where they actually want to stay. So uh, how long is, has Co-Write been in business? How long have you been up and running? Yeah, we started the pilot service like two years exactly from now, I would say. So we, we've been, yeah, two years. Uh, and 1.8 out of those years has been COVID. So uh, actually, we actually managed to launch in the US market and find ourselves a US partner and launch without even going there, which I didn't think was possible to begin with. So, but it's, yeah, it's, of course, we want this COVID shit, shit to disappear so we can do this properly. But I still think we have learned a lot and I think we can manage to, to, to work this even though without that much traveling. Right. So there are other distributors, you know, um, United Masters is trying to do something to empower the artists more with their app so that they can have more, I guess, access to more funding. There's another one in the U.S. called STEM, which uh, based upon the past results of artists, uh, STEM will actually act sort of like a bank and give artists some funding in advance. Of course, they have to earn that back. Uh, so it's it's interesting the space you're going in. Yours is more fan it is fan powered as opposed to STEM is like a bank. United Masters is like you know they're, they're getting uh, investment from companies like Google. You know, so um, it's it's interesting. You're all you're all kind of trying to find this way to empower the independent artists because what do you see uh, in the next three, five, ten years uh, with the power of independent artists? Where do you see that going? I think that, so this big, the vision is big. I think the two digit percentage of the total music recording market will come from that target audience most definitely. And I want, want us to be a big part of that, of course. So, but so I was touching upon it, but we're very soon to launch our blockchain platform. And with this platform, we will decentralize the engagement of the platform even further out to the artists and the fans. This is a very big vision. It's, but we believe, we believe that's there where, where, where basically the world is going. Fans and artists will be able to use what we call fan power, which is actually a token. So the mantra of co-write is fan power, but the fan power token will be the thing we use to measure this kind of activity, the engagement and the, the investments and everything you do. Every, every activity you do as a fan to, uh, to help the artist will give you fan power. And the fan power can then be used through the platform to get different types of reward, all from the you know, as we measure the, the royalty shares going on, uh, we call that the song shares. So you can invest in the songs as you do right now, but you can also uh, buy NFTs. Uh, and with that, you can follow the artist a longer time. So if you if you buy an NFT of an artist, like let's say you find Ed Sheeran of tomorrow, and then you buy the first limited edition of these NFTs for 10 bucks, 
And then all of a sudden he becomes Ed Sheeran like three years later, and you are the whole little one out of 100 NFTs for that artist. So it's a, another type of investment, but it's, it's correlated to, to what we do. But the cool thing is that we're also introducing what we learned from the gaming industry called play to earn. So with this fan power, we will also be able to sort of uh, engage the audience to do stuff. It could be easy stuff as follow the artist on Spotify, get 10 fan power. It could be share this song on your Instagram and get 20 fan power. Or it could be uh, help the artist create his next music video by singing his song in your iPhone and send it up here, 100 fan power. And then we will use these fan power in a smart algorithm to sort of measure who's the best fan, who should be rewarded. And we're building this community with the blockchain technology. So everyone that's engaging will be part of the, not only the, the fun, but also the value creation of the platform. So eventually the platform will be owned by the backers and owned by the fans uh, and, the, and the artists that participate in it. So yes, I think to your point, we are betting on the fan power 100%. And that's where what makes us unique. I really believe it will be other models for financing music as well, but we don't believe financing is good enough. We think that you also need the engagement to actually help you cut through the noise because that's the biggest challenge, I would say. Of course, if you have huge amount of money, you can buy ways to cut through the noise, but that's very expensive compared to you having like thousand very loyal followers and fans that actually loves your music, but also have invested in you in one way or the other. So yeah, that's our vision. We'll you, see if we can execute well enough to succeed. Do you screen the artist or the project and accept or reject it? Or is it just if they come up with the money and so on? Well, so it's Corrid is an open platform. So everyone that wants can distribute with us. Mm -hmm. uh, but as you mentioned earlier, it makes no real sense. If you have a very bad song or if you're not professional uh, in whatever way, it won't work so if you put up like a bad song nobody will buy into it so uh, so it needs to be somewhat quality and we have a moderation process so you can everyone can sort of upload a campaign but we will tell you if you believe hey you have set too high valuation you you say you're going to stream two million but you're never streaming anything these kind of things could end up in like we're rejecting stuff but we're trying to be more like teaching so we can help the artists to get along so yeah put it up Set a low, low target to begin with, so we make sure that you manage to get it done rather than try to sort of reach for the unreachable. So we're trying to be open, but yes, we are doing some moderation still. Yeah, so, so it's really uh, based on your opinion too. I mean, just like any, what, whatever hit is a hit, but I mean, it's based on, on your opinion that they, this may need to go, you know, pull, pull the rain in in the beginning a little bit and so well, yes, to some extent, but I would say it's actually kind of simple. Uh, it's I, I read a, I read an article about they compared how easy or hard it is to make money on music as an artist compared to like a soccer player, like football. Yeah. And it's actually, I was kind of surprised because it's much easier to make money on music than it is on football uh, or soccer. Uh, because uh, So it's a, it's a very sort of, thick line between professional footballers and non-professional footballers. A lot of people play soccer. Sure, it's one of the most popular sports on the planet, but not, not everybody consider themselves professional. But in the music industry, it's, it's more sort of a grayscale because you have the professionals that actually make a living. 
But then you have 6 million artists that believe they are, could become professional. And these guys have the same tools as the professionals. So uh, it's kind of, that's why it's so uh, busy on the music market right now. There's so much music out there. But if you, if you really list, get the time to listen, I would say that it's still only, it's a couple of hundred thousand artists out there that makes music that could be concept, uh, considered like professional. Uh, and when you hear songs uh, in a distribution service, of course you can let everything go out to, to Spotify. Uh, and we do that. So basically if you don't have, if you don't try to sort of fool the system and steal something and these sort of things we take away, but otherwise we let, we let whatever kind of music go if the technology, technical quality is good enough so it doesn't sort of ruin speakers and stuff. But so we don't sort of judge music on like a, like a subjective level but then comes to the campaign it could be more strict parameters that say that makes us say no it could be that you you release your first song which is an acoustic demo from your bathroom and you say hey i'm a really big rock star i want to i i want to raise five hundred thousand dollars uh on this campaign uh, for two percent of the royalties then we tell you nicely hey uh, Stephen, maybe uh, you could consider a lower valuation because this is actually your first song and maybe you could use that to buy yourself a nice little microphone for the next song you produce because then it will sound better. So that's the kind of attitude we try to keep. Uh, <laughs> with our... Yeah. Then it will sound better. Then it will sound better because you kind of suck. <laughs> You're making the, uh, well, 20 years ago was that same, the, the soccer model was that if you were with a major record label and you got signed, yeah. then you were a professional. Exactly. You know, everybody That's... else. But today, the, the tale is so long because right. people are doing other things besides just uh, being signed to the you know, big three, whatever. Yeah, 100%. That's exactly the, the sort of, it's a good comparison. Uh, I'll say in co-write, as a, our target artists is what we call the middle class independence. Basically, the artist that has the potential and the ambition and the quality enough to become like self-sufficient and live on their art form, basically. But we're not for the old amateurs, uh, which I love the amateurs as well, but they could pick another distribution form or they can use our distribution service. But uh, there's no use for these guys to create campaigns and try to raise money because then you're getting into some kind of professional mode, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, so, But the beauty now is, of course, that everyone that loves to do music can do so and actually have it on Spotify on Christmas Eve and show the family, like, I did this. That's lovely. Uh, so, but but maybe co-writes. We're not we're not targeting all these guys. We're targeting the ones that has the professional ambition. Now, um, I remember a few years ago, Dave, too. A Public Enemy tried this, where they were doing for their next album, and they were letting fans buy in, and they were going to pay back from the royalties, and it didn't work. And I know there was an, one other artist too that. Forget who it was, fairly, fairly uh, famous artist, that the same thing happened. Uh, so, do you remember what didn't not, work? Hmm? What was it that didn't work? Was like no money came back? They didn't, raise, they didn't raise enough money. They didn't make ah, their target. Right. Uh, and the target didn't seem to me so outrageous. I don't know if you remember it, Dave. I'm sure it's it's somewhere uh, with the Public Enemy one because I was following it for for quite a while. Um, has any artist with you so far, or do you see that potential 
very soon the potential uh, will um, sort of come to reap and that artist is going to make money. I mean, from this, from this model. Yeah, yeah, we have already a lot, quite a few cases. So this, I think the best case so far, there's a couple of actually, we have different good cases, but the, the best case for co-writers, of course, if the, first the artist managed to raise the funds that they want, and from the backers and then of course that the money that's come from Spotify and Apple actually pays off the backers and everybody gets happy that's the perfect uh, situation which in this case I told you earlier uh, there's a guy called Danny Salcedo who is one of, of the Sweden's biggest pop stars he raised he raised $18,000 from his backers in 24 hours uh, and then we released the song and then only four months after everybody had their payback and since then as the campaign year is only one year, so the backers just get paid from the royalties for one year. The rest remains three quarters. Everybody has made a profit. So I think now when we close this thing, it will be at least 1.5 times the money on this investment for, for these artists. So that has been a super case, which also led to Danny doing another campaign, which I think the previous backers pretty much backed that campaign in one hour. So it like, if you get started and things get moving and you set the right valuations and you're actually giving, giving back the money to the backers, this is a very good model because then you can build the audience as you grow and you can raise more money for every project. And as long as you're, everybody's happy and get it back, they will support you again. But also the other good learning we have done is basically people don't care that much as a backer about the returns. They're actually happy if they get something. So uh, if, if you're in the beginning of a career, like you described, like you have this young guy that you know, and you let's say you, you invest $50 to support, but you like the music, but you, and you want to support him. And then maybe he just reads half of the goal uh, and you get $25 back. That will end up in your co-write wallet. And what we have seen and, and the experience we have from the backers that everybody's super happy. And the first thing they do, they take this $25 and put it into the next project. So it's it's more like a, we use we try to sort of position it like you you're investing with heart rather than wallet. It's not like you invest in small artists to buy your next swimming pool. It's about the love yeah. for the music and everything that comes back is upside and it's fun and you should use it to sort of do another fun thing. So that's 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 the principle, which is pretty close to like the Kickstarter model or every other crowdfunding platform. You're not doing it to be rich. You're doing it to sort of for the fun and for the support. But there is a chance in this model. So you can find this crazy hit that turns out to be a million streaming song. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Kickstarter, usually there's plateaus and you get different various swags at each yeah. plateau going up but you never take part really i haven't seen you taking part in the um, profits on uh with those kinds of um, with that model so this is certainly more um more intriguing for someone who's is thinking of somehow justifying giving the money to the artist yeah yeah all right let's let's get into the nft part of the business because show we've thrown the word the the acronym nft around non-fungible token but we haven't discussed a lot about it and i managed an artist and we were looking into selling some of her uh, digital work she's a she's big on on uh, instagram via um, nfts and we for the moment aren't doing it because the first reason is we don't think her audience is educated enough 
about it. And we would spend so much time trying to educate them that it would be counterproductive to what we were trying to do. And then the other thing is, um, well, we could talk, there's so many different fees when you're doing an NFT that you have to price it at a certain level that maybe her audience can't afford it in the first place. So we're doing a whole lot of education, a whole lot of work, and then it flops because this particular audience can't do well. So you you have a, uh, I guess, a case study on your website, Emery Kelly, an artist. Yeah, yeah. NFT with, can you explain that process? Um, who came to who yeah. for that? And, 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 and also, I'm, I'm sorry to talk so long. Then just briefly, you know, in the, in the most generic of terms, explain to everybody what, what is it? NFT <laughs> is. Yeah. 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 That's, I, I think that's always a good start. Uh, I think all artists, at least in America right now, they know that there is something called NFT and they basically want to do it. Uh, but then it stops. Right. So, so, yeah, uh, so I would say, having said that, of course, there are bi- millions of artists that knows much more than that, but uh, I, I get that a lot. And I would say, to be frank, one and a half year ago, I didn't know that much either, but I've been nerd, uh, very nerdy in the subject matter over the last year, and we've built a lot. So, yes, so this NFT non-fundable token, uh, it's like the key feature of it is that it's, it's uniqueness. It's one. It can't be two exactly identical NFTs. Uh, meaning, for the first time in history, I bet, uh, you can build a digital product which is unique. Compared with the MP3, which happened like 20 years ago, and then it ends up on Pirate Bay, and then you have 5 billion copies uh, uh, that nobody pays for. That's not unique. It's the quite opposite. So the NFT makes it possible to take a piece of art and create and what it actually is, it's a fancy receipt, I would say. And the fanciness is because of the blockchain technology and the encryption. It may, the receipt makes it possible to determine for everyone that can see the blockchain that it's you that owns this. So the, the thing is that, the, of course, if you look at these bored apes, for instance, that sell, sells for hundreds of thousands of dollars, it's JPEGs. So of course you can copy the JPEG and, and take it, but you can prove if you have bought one of these for $200,000, you can prove for everybody that you are the owner, the true owner, which is, is fairly similar to the physical world. If you, if you had bought a big, a very famous painting, uh, you have the original. And of course you can take a photo with your iPhone, which pretty much looks the same and you can print it on your screen and put it up as a poster, but that doesn't really, have the same value so it's about the value of the nft is what the the value of the guy that want to buy it or the collector or whatever so it's a it's the same thing as in the music industry forever if you have bought a first press vinyl of the beatles white album and you had the, the number 99 in mint condition i bet you could get that sold for plenty of money at this point that's the that's the equivalent to an nft in the in the in the digital world so, and then of course the NFT, you can basically, as it just, the NFT is just a receipt. You could put pretty much whatever in it. It could be the, yeah, like the, it could be a house in the NFT. It could be a song. It could be a piece of art. It could be a, a promise that you will make your wife coffee every single morning until you get retired. That could be NFT. And then she will have that receipt and she can put it in your face. It's a contract, but it's digital. So, mm-hmm. so what, is good then for the music. So the point with music is that, of course, this is a cool thing because now you can all of a sudden you can start creating uh, digital collectibles, which could be everything from like limited edition of a song, uh, which will be something we do on our platform. So if you distribute a song with co-writes in the next year, 
not only you will be able to finance it by selling song shares, but also we will create, if you have 500 backers, we will create 500 NFTs and every backer will have the opportunity for let's say $10 more by the NFT. And then you can keep that in your collection and you save it for later, later sales. Or if you want to save it as a collector's card for hundred years. So that's one thing that the thing we did with Emery was quite the opposite because here we talked about digital merchandise. So instead of buying like in the physical world, if you're an independent artist, you probably could print a black t-shirt with your logo and try to sell it on your gigs. But there's no such limitations in the digital world. So if you know a great designer, uh, you can create, in this case, Emery's ambition or vision was to create an album called Some of My Emotions, which like every song is one of my emotions. And then we came up with the concept of, yeah, let's create some emotion sunglasses. So we, we found a really, really good designer in India that helped us create these eight types of emotion glasses, which we then NFT. Uh, and then what we did uh, to compare with like this, the sales are on a, of NFTs is hard today because there's a lot of hurdles for, for people that don't know crypto to get into it. So I would say right now and for the rest of uh, at least this year and maybe next one as well, uh, the main target audience for uh, NFT products will be the crypto audience, the people that already ho have some crypto in their wallets, because these guys know why they should buy them and they know how to buy them. And also, I think they're kind of in it for uh, money uh, to start with. So what they do right now is basically they buy in NFTs for later secondary sales. So if say that you're a great artist with a great crowd, 90% of your audience might not know anything about NFTs, but 10% might do so. So they will buy your NFTs because they know in two years, everybody will know this. And then I will find the collectors that will buy this at a later stage. So uh, the way we did it was that we used the community that we now have built around co-write around the blockchain project, which is primarily yeah, hundreds of thousands of crypto enthusiasts globally that we're now sort of working uh, with. And we market it to these guys. So we actually made a tremendous sale uh, on this one, which uh, I would say is a very interesting uh, piece of example of how you can be an independent artist, create something entirely new for, for this new market. And he actually had sales of yeah, pretty much plus $200,000 for this NFT, which we're now using to try to break Emery's music. Uh, and now all of a sudden this independent artist has muscles uh, comparable to a, a big record label. So all of a sudden we can do a lot of cool things around that. So that's, I think that's the beauty of the whole story of Emery that we, we did something new, we marketed it pretty heavily and, and, and risked quite a bit, but it turns out to be great. And it turns out to give us the resources to take his product to the next level. So the big part there was you had the clientele almost like with real estate. You know, I, I could get the listing for a $15 million home today. I have no idea who I'm going to sell it to. I don't have the clientele to sell it to. Yet you have the clientele to sell these NFTs today. And that's the thing yes. you brought to the equation there. Plus you had a knowledge of the marketplace. But that that's... You know, I would say uh, that's exactly the truth. So I say what we, we actually, I think we... We get some articles out uh, very soon about it, but we, we are starting up what we call like an NFT studio. 
uh, which is about, uh, because we have this distributed tech team that could help build these things. We have the creators in our network that could sort of create the mechanics and uh, the gamification of the NFTs, which is very important for this audience. And we have studio access in a lot of places around the planet. And we also now have a, the network of crypto key opinion leaders globally that will reach to the target audience. So all these things makes us a good partner. So we're trying to help artists like a one-stop shop with these NFT things. Uh, but and in the meantime, we're building the platform. Uh, so we try to build in this knowledge into something which is a platform eventually for everyone to be able to use. So in the NFT space, I think the, there are big platforms out there to, to distribute NFTs, uh, but to be successful, you really need to do it right. Otherwise, I think it's it's hard to sort of, to, as you said, it's hard to get to the people that actually want to buy them. Yeah. So, so with Emery Kelly, um, the people who uh, ended up buying his NFTs and, and generating this income, were they into his music or were they more into the digital art and the concept of, the, of, of what was built into the NFT? I would say a combination, but uh, I think that to be able to sort of cut through the noise in the NFT space, I heard some figures that it's already today, it's like 70,000 NFTs released every day as well, not in music, but in general. So there's a lot of activity in the field. So I think the art, at least going forward, will be super important without a nice looking or an interesting mechanic or something which is well thought through. These are great. This is big projects to make sure that it's, it's good enough. Uh, and then the music made it more unique because not that much music NFTs is out there yet. Uh, so the combination of the artist, also the artist has some kind of a crowd because he's been a movie or like a, a TV series stars on Disney. So I had a, a fairly decent following of 600,000 followers on Instagram. But he, this, it was his first sort of entry, serious entry into the music space. So the combination of the artist, the music, which is a good song and the uh, the art, but also the fact that we are launching a blockchain platform, which made us as a sort of a sort of, yeah, the company behind the project uh, legit in this field that made it a big uh, impact as well in this early stage, because there's a lot of, yeah, strange NFTs that enter the market as well. So I think uh, it's a combination, but you need to, to be able to sort of make success in this field right now. You need to really think it through and you can't do just anything anymore. That was maybe the case a year ago or two years ago. But uh, the competition will be hard in this field as well. Mm -hmm. and, and with this particular one that you did with Emery Kelly, was the purpose of he and his team strictly to make money or was it more of the marketing side? Now, he, he's as an independent artist, he really strives to get the resources to do it properly, if you say so. So, And from our end, we wanted to prove that it was possible to actually take a kind of unestablished artist and create a big splash. By we, we, we launched the thing on the Times Square in the middle of the you know, NFT art fair. So it's a, that was, <laughs> was a, a stunt, of course, because we just had this uh, fancy, uh, very cool LED screen for like one minute. But we made sure to film that moment. So we, we've used that in the socials. So like taking this independent artist, doing it big time, trying to make it global. And now we have the resources to try to sort of create a marketing strategy for his upcoming 
plan basically that's yeah so it's a combination of us try to show off what we can do uh, with our platform and our, our networks but also make sure that other artists see that yeah this is opportunity uh, and start some kind of a I think it's about education the next year. The artists need to learn all these things. They need, what is an NFT? How should I create it? What kind of resources do, does it require? Who should I partner up with? What, which are the platforms? Just as you did with the digital music like 15 years ago when you didn't know what, what would happen after the CD. Mm-hmm. But it's cool. It's, it's, a, it's a very new, exciting trend. And uh, I think is a lot of opportunity to, for the years to come in this field. So it's in, in the digital NFT, it's basically intangible. I mean, you can never, almost like, almost like a copyright. I can show you a picture of my registration or I can show you a picture of this NFT, but this, yeah. that isn't the NFT. That's a picture of the NFT. So in the digital- uh, The picture is the picture. The only thing you can, the NFT is the receipt that you are the guy yeah. that owns it. Yes. Yeah. So, so you'll never have it in your house your NFT. You can have a picture of the NFT in your house. If yeah, you exactly. Want. You can print it out in a nice printer and then you have right. it on the wall if you want. Digital, exactly. Or you can listen to it if it is a recording. You can listen to it, of course. And Or if it's a video, you can check it out. Or if it's a 3D animation, you can uh, put on your Google glasses and you can check it out right. in 3D. Right. So, right. yes. Yeah. But, but one key point about the NFT for, for artists, musicians, is they're selling the NFT, but they're not selling the copyright to their work. So they yes. still own that original sound recording. They still own the, the, the song, the underlying composition. The NFT is sort of a derivative of that original work, but they own, even if they're selling the NFT and the ownership of the NFT, they own the original song. And that's, once again, that's uh, totally up to the artist. Of course, they could sell the entire master right or whatever they want. And I think we've seen examples of that as well. And there will definitely be such examples as well. Uh, but in our case, if the NFT that I talked about, the originals we're talking about, that will not be the case. So then you just, this is more like a CD box uh, you bought with like exclusive stuff in it and the numbered edition. That's what you yeah. buy. And then the, the other beauty is actually the secondary sales. Uh, that's like on the economic side. You can put into the smart contract of the NFT. So if you buy my NFT for $10, let's say tomorrow, and then for some particular reason, I become famous. Uh, and then your NFT goes up in value with 10 times and you sell it on the secondary market. I, as an original holder, could have put in in the equation in the algorithm that I always get, let's say, 5% of every secondary sale. And that could happen like 500 times in history. So the original artist uh, could benefit from this being a success, not only once, like in the physical days, if you were a painter, you sold your painting once and then you didn't see it anymore. Uh, but in this case, you can get a royalty stream every time it resells. And that's a kind of cool feature as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the big deal in the 2000s when uh, used CDs were becoming a thing. And I remember Garth Brooks specifically hated the concept of used CDs because he only made money once when the CD was sold. But then if the fan bought it, and then three years later, sold it back to his CD store. And then the CD store sold it again. Garth Brooks never made, or their label, any money off of that. But uh, then it was became sort of a micro trans, uh, transaction amongst fans and, and retailer that was cutting out the artist in that case. And, then, and you're saying, no, that in NFTs, you could build in a commission. So if it's yep. sold, resold, resold, you're always, you can always earn a percentage of that. That's cool. Uh, almost like what's the uh, organization for songwriters uh, that for if you don't want to um, 
have to go by the copyright rules. I, I had only taught it two years ago. Can't remember it now. The organization. Common common law or it's common common something. Uh, you mean when you like free when you buy all the rights uh, without limitations? That kind of. Yeah, or you can have you can you can allow you can allow your work to be totally copied, or it can be only derivative copy. Like free, uh, yeah. It's called the oh God. Yeah, there are a couple of services. There's a Swedish Epidemic. company called Epidemic Sound, uh, which basically sell music to YouTubers and TV stations and stuff like that. Which is they basically pay the producer once a fee, and then they own 100, and no royalty whatsoever go out at any point. It's that put. So that's that's quite the opposite of the NFT, I would say. Yeah, right. Well, all right. We need to leave it at there. But that was actually yeah. very, very good. Hopefully, Matthias, you were uh, impressed with our level of questions and, and you want to give us some NFT money sometime for our... Maybe this <laughs> become an NFT and we'll... we'll yeah, you should come back uh, when you have the next idea come to us because I think we, we want to explore different opportunities and different types of projects and for all kind of level of artists. But... Uh, yeah. Okay. And by the way, it was Creative Commons. I think that's what ah, we're trying to think of. Really, the uh, sort of uh, copyright-free uh, right. work at that's out there. So, okay. So we need to end it. We're in trouble now. With uh, <laughs> they, what they, they're going to give us ten more seconds. So um, at the end of every show, we don't say hello because that would be redundant. Instead of the end, at the end of every show, and you can scream out loud with you with us if you'd like. We say adios. Adios. Sweet sweet dreams as you breathe. much success i hope you bump a cigarette from the wrong guy hope you ruined your life you could say i have spy you would be right now i would never wish bad wishes on you who lived to hold as a california maybe one day we can reconcile i was california poppies
be 